836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Yes, last night I had this epiphany. I was at dinner with some new friends of mine, and I don't know how we got to, to talking about it, but uh, my friend Dr. Nick was saying, well, you know, they're just saying in Texas emergency rooms, and they say that seven out of ten people who present in Texas emergency rooms, well, there's five words that they utter before whatever happens that gets them into the emergency room happens. Those five words, um, hold my beer, watch this. To me, I think it says it all. And it just struck me as, yes, I mean, it, it's actually, right, hold my beer, watch this. It explains, hey, there's a shake glass, a plate glass window. Hold my beer, watch this. But again, it's also a metaphor for other stupid things. Like I say, if you want to try to figure out why Tom Barrett is pushing this $132 million streetcar project that's going to run from the bus depot to the Lower East Side. The only way to explain it is, hey, Barrett, you know, what are you thinking? Hold my beer, watch this. There is a classic example of hold my beer, watch this. Jane Matinier was referring to it earlier. If you have not seen it, I encourage you to go to our website, WTMJ.com, because there is an image of this up there. It is priceless cell phone video. Now, last weekend was gorgeous. Record-setting temperatures, temperatures in the 50s. This was not, however, a freak of this winter. This has been, with the exception of a cold snap that happened several weeks ago, this has been a mild winter by any standards. So what happens during mild winters? Hmm, let's think this through. What happens if you take an ice cube and you put the ice cube out on your front porch Oh, when the temperature gets to around 40 to 50 to 60 degrees. Yes, the ice cube melts. All right. So when you have a lake and when you have ice out on the lake and the winter has been mild, what happens? Yes, the ice is not as thick. This is incredible video if you have not seen it. Truck falls through ice in Sturgeon Bay. A man in Wisconsin drove his Cadillac Escalade onto frozen Lake Michigan. Well, okay, Lake Michigan isn't exactly frozen. He drives his Cadillac Escalade, which is a big honking SUV, onto Lake Michigan. Um, he decides he is going to tow his ice shanty to another spot on semi-frozen Lake Michigan on Sunday. And if you see the video, he's pulling the ice shanty and doesn't get very far before the ice gives way, and the truck goes into the water, and the ice shanty goes into the water. Now, the good news is that the driver was able to get out. The Cadillac Escalade, not as lucky. The driver's explanation for why he thought it was a good idea to drive a Cadillac Escalade onto the lake after days and days of 50-degree weather and following a very mild winter was... He heard from a friend on a snowmobile that the ice was okay. <clears throat> that sign says road out. Uh, what, what do you think there, Harry? Oh, I think it's going to be okay. Some guy on a snowmobile says, I think the ice is okay. Sure, you're going to drive your, that's the motivation to drive your fifty-five dollars or $60,000 Cadillac Escalade out onto thin ice to try to tow your ice shanty. So if you wonder, for example, what is these people are thinking when they go out and do stuff, it is simple. It is a five-word phrase. Hold my beer, watch this. I understand that nobody in their right mind would drive their vehicle out onto this ice. No problem. Hold my beer, watch this.
Again, a metaphor for so many things. All right, we start off this program like we start off every program. Three big things. Stuff that I think that you should know about so you can talk about at work, whether it's at the coffee closet or at the water cooler or at the lunch table. Just interesting topics to me. Big thing number one, a day without immigrants on Thursday, a Friday without a job. All right. Everybody knows Thursday was this organized effort of a day without immigrants. In Milwaukee, you had a large march. Organizers bust people in from all over the state to try to inflate the numbers of the march, but that's okay. And people march to protest Donald Trump or protest whatever. And you see, the people that are marching are actually, what they're really calling for is open borders. They don't think that we should have immigration laws. How dare you stop people from coming into this country illegally? How dare you do anything to send people who are in this country illegally out of the country? That's essentially what this is all about. It. But the idea is a day without immigrants, we're going to come in, we're going to show up and protest. Okay, so people protest. Across the country, many people decided that they were going to not show up at work in order to go and participate in these protests. All right, so you say you're not going to show up at work. Um, One of the companies that's getting a lot of attention is a little company um, called Bradley Coatings Incorporated, which is a commercial painting company in Nolensville, Tennessee. And what apparently some of the organized, there was a number of people who decided We want to not show up at work on Thursday because we want to go and participate in a day without immigrants. And apparently the the company, in advance, told employees, just so you know, if you are not, these are, this is not going to be an excused absence. And if you do not show up at work as you are scheduled to show up on Thursday, well, there will be consequences. So, 20 employees, almost 20 employees, decide that they are not going to show up. They have an unexcused absence. They don't show up because apparently they go participate in this day without immigrants situation. When they come back on Friday, they find that, yeah, Thursday was a day without immigrants. Friday is a day without a job because they have all been laid off. Now, for failure to show up in violation of the company's rules. This is going on all across the country at places. Now, of course, this is a story, this one little painting company. They get a lot of attention, and the attorney comes out and says, regretfully and consistent with our prior communication to all our employees, we had no choice but to terminate these individuals. The reasons these employees misworked, missed work had nothing to do with our decision to terminate them. We said they had to show up, and if they didn't show up, they risked losing their jobs. They didn't show up. They lost their jobs. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. All right. This company and other companies all across the country took that position. If you don't show up at work on Thursday for whatever reason, um, we're telling you this is not going to be an excused absence, and there will be consequences. Are these companies in the wrong for deciding to terminate people for not showing up? 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. We discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 844 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ. 847 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ. Big thing number one. All right, last Thursday, lots of people did not show up at work to participate in the Day Without Immigrants protest at many companies across the country. 
they were told, employees were told, hey, you, you cannot have this day off. This will be an unexcused absence if you decide not to show up, and there could be consequences. Lots of people failed to show up. As a matter of fact, I've got a link to the story at WTMJ.com under our Wagner's Three Big Things thing. Um, at a number of companies, people didn't show up after being told that there were going to be consequences, and those consequences were the employees were, in fact, fired. One example, this town in Tennessee, this business, it's a commercial painting company. Lawyer says, we told them. We didn't care why they weren't at work. We told them um, if they weren't at work, they would be let go. They didn't show up. They were let go. Is the company wrong? Let's start with Eric and Racine. Eric, good morning. Uh, I, I think the company nailed it right on the head. I completely agree with them letting the people go. It wasn't a matter of saying, if you go to this protest, you're fired. It was a matter of them saying, you have to be here tomorrow. We don't care why you're gone. Right. Plain and simple, if you don't show up to work, you're gone. Right. It, didn't, it did not exclusively right. select a distinct group and say, hey, if you go to the protest, you're fired. That would be a different scenario, I think. Right. Well, and it's also it's like the, the employees don't claim to be sick or anything. I mean, they acknowledge they went to this protest. They, they acknowledge that they ignored the orders of their supervisor and made a collective decision not to show up. Fine, but there are consequences for that decision not to show up. It'd be no different than me calling in on opening day for the brewers, which I think should be a holiday anyway. (laughs) Anyways, it'd be like me calling in on opening day. My boss knows I'm not sick. I don't come in. There's going to be consequences. Right. up to my termination. I signed a contract. Well, well, exactly. I mean, thank, or, I mean, or again, see, most people, most people in this country are what they call at will employees. I happen to have a contract, but that's a, a, most people, you can be fired for any reason or no reason as long as it's not an illegal reason. Um, similarly, you, you can quit anytime you want. You can walk in and say that, that's how most employees are. So, I mean, let's use your opening day example. If, the company sends out a memo saying, look, we understand that lots of people want to go to opening day, but this is our really, really busy time, and unfortunately, we are not granting any absences. We're not giving any vacation time for opening day, and if you don't show up and instead go to opening day, there's going to be consequences. Then can you really be questioned about the fact that you don't show up and you end up getting sacked? Let's talk to Dan and Fond du Lac. Dan, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. Thank what, you for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? I, I gotta say, I come down with, on the side of the employees in this instance. Um, I think everyone, regardless of, of what line of work you're in or what your profession is, everybody deserves a certain number of, of personal days during the year. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't really think it matters, you know, whether you're sick, whether it's a family emergency, or whatever your reason for needing off is. If there's something you really want to participate in. Um, I don't think you should lose your job because you could take a day to do that. Oh, okay, well, let me ask you. Do, do you think that an employer has no right to control vacation schedule? Now, I don't know if these people have personal days or not, but but if if I say to my boss, I want to take a personal day tomorrow, and my boss says, I'm sorry, we can't accommodate you. It's too short notice. We can't have a fill-in, or we've got something really big going on. You're going to be ho- anchoring our opening day broadcast and, and tells me, no, Jeff, I can't give you the day off. You're going to have to take it some other time. Do you think if I then just don't show up, they don't have a right to discipline me? Well, I, I guess, um, again, it, it kind of depends on what, what the reasoning is. Oh. Oh. Well, I mean, th- I, I see, I guess, I see, I don't see it like that. I mean, again, I don't know if in these different companies they, they try to take vacation days or not. But, I mean, at any at any company, you have to, management has a right 
I think, to control its vacation schedule. For years and years here, when, when Sykes and I were doing this, we, we had a rule that we couldn't both be gone at the same time. All right, so so we, we just all had to work that that out. Um, I, I just, this morning, I put in for a couple of vacation days at the very end of March, and I mean, I got them on the schedule. But if if my boss had come back and said, uh, Jeff, I'm, I'm really sorry, we can't accommodate you on those two days because we've got this going on or that going on, um, all right, I mean, I don't think that that's an unreasonable position, again, as long as they're, and in this case, I mean, and all these different companies that fired people, they warned them. They said, look, you don't, you know, you can't have off today. We're, we're not we're not allowing you to take off these days. This day, you've got to show up. Now, I don't know what the companies had going on. So I guess if you make a decision after being told that there's going to be consequences if you don't show up, and you don't show up, I think absent some union contract that you know provides for progressive discipline or something like that, I think that's a perfectly valid reason for you being fired if the company decides to do that. Let's talk to Dave downtown. Dave, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, my whole point is I'm Mexican. My family's Mexican. We're U.S. citizens. I think the thing that just gets on a lot of people's nerves is it's kind of like an in-your-face. Look, I yep. know people are illegal aliens, but some of the people I know, they're not out protesting here. You know, you're flying under the radar. You, you have a, a, a decent chance of, you know, making a list. And then you want to just kind of stick it to U.S. citizens. I think it just... Well, right. I mean, see, I don't. I mean, see, I'm with you, Dave, on, on the bigger point. I mean, what 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 are these protests designed to accomplish? And that's why some of the analysis that I, I think you're getting in the media really is lacking. Because okay, this day without immigrants, as I was arguing last week, if you cut through this all, what are they saying? I mean, they're saying we don't think we should control our borders. You know, if anybody wants to come into this country, they should come into this country. And we don't think that we, once you come into this country illegally, we don't think you should. we should do anything to send you back. That is at the heart of this message. And I don't know that there is any country in the world, let's leave aside like the European Union and how they allow some people to travel back and forth, but there, I don't think there's any country in, in the world that just allows open borders. And that would be absolutely disastrous. So I'm with you. I don't get the purpose of a lot of this this protest other either, and I think a lot of people that are protesting probably don't get the ultimate purpose of that. But that doesn't matter. There are consequences for your actions, and if you've got a job and your employer tells you, "All right, we'll take the example of, of Hondo." If Hondo, who is an outstanding producer, says to management, um, "I'm going to take off Tuesday for whatever reason," and management and it's it's not it's not sick. It's nothing like that. And management says, look, that's just not going to work. We don't have anybody to fill in. I'm sorry, you need to be here. And Hondo takes it upon himself to not show up tomorrow on Tuesday. There will be consequences, including being fired for insubordination, you know, on Wednesday. Now, would they do that? I don't know. But, I mean, there'd certainly be a basis to do that. So, fine. You want to take off of work. You want to not show up. Go with God. But recognize that there are going to be consequences. No, I... I think these companies were completely and totally correct. Big thing number two coming up, who is the real enemy? Nine oh eight, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big thing number two for Monday. For God's sake, Barrett, give it a rest. All right. Yesterday, Tom Barrett stages one of the, the these news conferences that have almost been, they have become a cliché. 
Barrett has been doing this for years. The only thing missing this time was Police Chief Ed Flynn, but he had a number of other Milwaukee police officers there to, to be used as props. But this is the type of press conference that's been going on. Well, candidly, it was going on years and years ago when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office. It was going on before that. Barrett shows up at one of the local police districts, and he, he displays a whole bunch of guns, many of which are scary-looking guns that have been seized over the course of the last several months by Milwaukee police. Here's the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. Mayor Tom Barrett leaned over a table filled with guns Sunday afternoon and examined them closely. A Ruger 9mm, an AK-47 rifle, a pink 32 caliber handgun, an Uzi-style firearm, a sawed-off shotgun, FN 5.7mm handgun, SKS rifle, a MAC-10 pistol, and a Glock handgun outfitted with a 50-round drum magazine. You can see how fresh these are. These are just since January 1st, Barrett said, turning over ID tags attached to the weapon, showing the recovery date. It's bad stuff. At a news conference at the District 7 police station on Fond du Lac Avenue, the mayor touted the rate of illegal weapons seized during criminal activity in Milwaukee and pushed for more state funding and legislation to keep firearms out of the hands of criminals. Okay, I'm with him so far. If he wants to do that, that that's fine. I, it will be interesting, though, when he pushes for tougher legislation, and that means, let's say, mandatory minimum sentencing for people who are convicted for carrying guns illegally, um, when, when that means that, oh, say, lots and lots of people in Milwaukee who are persons of color get caught with those guns, is he really going to support mandatory minimum sentencing? I, I, but I'm all in favor of that, but okay. And then, you know, Barrett goes on to make the point that Milwaukee police are recovering weapons in criminal activity at a much higher rate per capita than other urban war zones like Philadelphia, Chicago, Los Angeles, and New York. So in other words, you know, per person, we are, our police are seizing more guns used in criminal activity than in a lot of these other urban areas, including places like Chicago, which is just a, a killing field. Okay, I'm, I'm fine. I have no problem with that. Cops are doing a good job. We're getting a lot of crime guns off of the street. And, you know, there's a lot of crime guns that are out there on a per capita basis. And maybe we should have tougher sentencing. Okay, fine. I'm, I'm cool with all that. But then he cannot help himself. Barrett, after showing the crime guns and talking about how we're seizing guns at this rate that's higher than crime guns at a rate that's higher than these other things, then says... The number of non-fatal shootings in Milwaukee has gone up each year since Wisconsin's concealed carry law passed in 2011. And the number of fatal shootings has increased every year except one since 2011. So he brings this all after showing the crime guns, after talking about how, you know, we, we need tougher penalties. He can't help himself. He brings it around to concealed carry. The number of non-fatal shootings in Milwaukee has gone up each year since Wisconsin's concealed carry law passed in 2011, and the number of fatal shootings has increased each year except one since 2011. Now, I, I stand willing to be corrected, but my guess is not many, if any, of those guns that he displayed yesterday came from concealed carry permit holders. My guess is, if you look at the vast majority of the firearms, the, for example, thousands of guns that were seized by Milwaukee police in 2016 as being involved in criminal activity, few, if any, of those guns were taken from concealed carry permit holders. And yet the mayor brings it around to concealed carry. 414-799-1620. 
800-877-1628. That is the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. I believe that the mayor's numbers are correct. The number of fatal shootings in Milwaukee has gone up, in some cases dramatically, since 2011. I believe he is correct. The number of non-fatal shootings in Milwaukee has gone up each year since 2011. 2011 is the year that Wisconsin passed the concealed carry law. Does concealed carry have anything at all to do with, in your opinion, the number of fatal and non-fatal shootings going up in Milwaukee over the last five years? 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Does concealed carry have anything at all to do with the spike and the increasing amount of gun violence on the streets of Milwaukee? as the mayor would apparently have you believe. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. Again, you're a concealed carry holder. Have you contributed to the rise in shootings, fatal and non-fatal shootings, in the city of Milwaukee? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 914, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. WTMJ. So Tom Barrett has this press conference Sunday. He track, lays out all these guns that were seized from criminals. Fine. He calls for more funding to help get guns off the street. Fine. He calls for tougher sentencing. Fine. And then he can't help himself. He then points out, well, you know, the number of shootings, both fatal and non-fatal, in Milwaukee has gone up in since 2011, which happens to be the same year we passed concealed carry. Does con- I'm willing to bet that few, if any, of those guns, like I say, that he displayed yesterday came from concealed carry permit holders. I am willing to bet that most of the thousands of guns that Milwaukee police, for example, seized as crime guns, few, if any, came from concealed carry owners. So my question is, if the mayor says, well, it's going up, does this does the number of shootings in Milwaukee have anything to do with concealed carry? Jeff in Waukesha. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Excluded, Chris. We've had concealed carry in Wisconsin for five years. Yep. There's over 350,000 permits out there. Now, I did research, and these numbers are hard to find. I think they're by, by design. But as of about seven, eight months ago, when I did the research, there was not one case of a concealed carry permit holder in the state of Wisconsin committing a crime with a gun. So why would you go after a group that's not creating a problem, probably the most law-abiding group of the state? You know, it, it, it's just it's mind-boggling to me. Now, just anecdotally, I do remember a handful of stories over the last few years about people who've been involved in, in shootings, you know, and it turned out that they were concealed carry permit holders. So I'm not going to say no. there's been no concealed carry permit holders who've had their firearms seized, but, but very, very... But not in a criminal act, not because they were committing a criminal act, perhaps. Oh, maybe just because they were involved in shooting. Yeah, it could be. I mean, right. th- I, again, I, but, but regardless, even... Even if there's a handful, and I don't want to be an absolutist here, even if there's a handful, there, there's not too many. Look, here is the reality. Concealed carry has nothing to do with the fact that you have a bunch of gangsters and hoodlums who are shooting up the streets of Milwaukee. Concealed carry has nothing to do with the fact that you've got people who have the impulse control of fruit flies that you know pull out guns, most of which are, are being illegally carried, and use them to shoot other people. I agree there is an epidemic of gun violence. I get it. I have no issue with it. I am all in favor of 
increased penalties. And like I say, my challenge to the mayor is, okay, be careful what you wish for. Because if I was in the governor, if I was in the legislature and I was the governor, I'd be handing down mandatory minimum penalties, sending people to prison for years. And if you do that in the city of Milwaukee, like I say, you're going to, you're going to get a disproportionate number of persons of color. And then, you know, when certain parts of the community start screaming, are you going to stand up to them? But regardless, I would be in favor of that. I would be in favor of mandatory minimum sentencing. I'm in favor of toughening various gun laws that make it more difficult or higher penalties for people who commit crimes with guns. Where is Tom Barrett on calling out judges who come out with lax sentences? I mean, gee, Tom, you know, maybe instead of going after concealed carry, you'd like a list of some of the judges who've slapped these criminals on the wrist and put them back out on the street over and over again. That might be more productive, but of course that doesn't support your political base. But again, to go after concealed carry holders when I at least don't believe there is any, any significant, if any at all, relationship between the increase in gun shootings in Milwaukee and concealed carry people. Jim in South Milwaukee. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Well, good morning. Hi, Jim. Jeff, I, I did a little math myself, and I, I looked at uh, Barrett's proposal for that uh, Albatross downtown Milwaukee. <laughs> the the, the streetcar? Street yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I figured... <laughs> Hold my beer. Watch this. We're going to build a streetcar. Yep. <laughs> and if it's a minimum of $50 million investment by the city of Milwaukee, which, of course, is ludicrous, it'll be twice that right. per year, or per the, for the construction alone, then you take $50 million and you take $100,000 per police officer to be trained and put on the street per year, divide 100000 to $50 million, I get I get 50 police officers that right. could be added to the city streets and patrols and whatever yep. needed, investigations, detectives, whatever. Yep. Yeah, wh- wh- where is his math on this? Is, is he forgetting that entirely? Well, no, we're just ignoring. No, thanks. And, and again, I mean, I appreciate the streetcar money. A lot of it, it, a lot of it is federal money, so it's supposedly free money. But yes, if you want to look at the big picture about, you know, how can we spend resources, cops on the street or a 2.1-mile streetcar line that runs from the bus depot to the Lower East Side that nobody is going to ride. But I guess that my point is there's just so – he's right up to a point. And I, again – Let's get the crime guns off the street. Let's toughen the penalties. But he can't help himself. It's this concealed carry canard, this belief that because, you know, you want to go get a permit and learn how to do this so you can protect yourself, that that you are somehow part of the crime problem. It ignores what the real and it's it's easy. The reason Barrett likes to do this is it ignores the real problems. It ignores the need to deal with the criminal element that is out there that are committing these crimes. Nick in Burlington. Nick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, um, Hi, Nick. just want to play a little devil, devil's advocate okay. here. If I were to try to make a connection, uh, could I mean, there could be a possibility in the fact that we see an increased uh, gun violence because the criminals out there perhaps know that there may be somebody with a, with a weapon that could defend themselves. So perhaps they're a little more apt just to take that first shot. Uh, well, I mean, I, I mean, I think, okay, Nick, here, here's the, if, if Barrett wants to make that argument, just I, I would like to see some evidence of that. Because, again, I, I don't remember any, okay, the, the typical carjacker that sticks a gun in somebody's face, I, I don't remember ever seeing the story of, hey, hey, I pulled the trigger because I was afraid that person might be armed. I just... Or the 
you know, the, the, the gangster that decides, hey, I'm going to go shoot up the, the neighboring competing drug house. So I, I'm afraid that that person might be a concealed carry permit holder. I, I guess in theory, I understand that. But in theory, it could be Martians that are landing. If you're wondering why there's like dew on the grass in Cathedral Square, it could be because, I don't know, Martians are, are dumping dumping waste out of their spaceship. I, I don't think that that's I don't think that that's a factor there. Mike in Greenfield. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Great uh, subject, uh, Jeff. But this drives me crazy. Um, it just does. I mean, I, I, to, to blame concealed carry permit holders for the rise in shootings in Milwaukee. Really, Tom? Really? Well, here's the thing. The, the two things I want to touch on before I hang up is, one, um, you have a law-abiding, tax-paying citizen. You go through the train. They get the gun permit. Um, bad guys will always get a hold of guns. And what this does, it lowers, the, uh, it evens the playing field because you got a, a thug lying around a little old lady. There's a 50 50 chance she just may be packing some heat and right. able to defend herself. And when you have Sheriff Clark on doing the PSAs right. about you got to defend yourself because we're overworked and underpaid, we may not be able to get there, and it's like every right. man for himself, that tells you something. Right. No, I think you're yeah, right. I mean, I, I think the, I mean, I think if anything, Concealed carry might serve as a deterrent. That's the more logical conclusion that our last caller was uttering. That the concealed carry might be a deterrent to, hey, I, I don't, I don't want to rob this person because they might be carrying a gun. They might be able to defend themselves. Sure. And real, real quickly, Jeff Foley, as far as the trial and all that, that's a gross misappropriation of taxpayers' uh, <laughs> of the funds. Because what we really need to address is the infrastructure, the yep. local roads and bridges in Milwaukee. No, you're. I mean, th- I mean th- don't don't even get me started on the trolley. I just, it, it's just, yeah, right. If you've got a bunch of money for, from the federal government to try to improve infrastructure, you're going to build a trolley. But again, everybody, you you, you got to understand this is Tom Barrett's equivalent of like a train wreck. Hold my beer, watch this. I'm going to build the trolley. But concealed carry. I'm looking at this story. I was with him to a point, but he can't help himself. He doesn't want to deal with the real issue. So we're going to blame all of you that have concealed carry permits. You are part of the reason why gun crimes and shootings are increasing in the city of Milwaukee. 926, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It is 928, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The I-94 East-West Corridor Project was taken out of the state budget. While some criticize the decision, others say it might not be a bad move. Get the whole story on WTMJ today at 1235. Yeah, when I interviewed the governor... um, his rationale for this is that you have a limited amount of spending. There's, there's a limited amount of money that's going on. That portion of the project, expanding the freeway between essentially the Marquette Interchange and 70th Street, while necessary, it's meeting all this opposition, and you're going to have a lot of the NIMBYs, the not-in-my-backyard crowd, that are going to file lawsuits and try to fight it. The governor's position is, hey, we've got a limited amount of money. I want to concentrate. Let's Rather than getting into lengthy court battles, let's... Let's spend the money and do the projects that were already underway, and then we'll worry about that later. But um, 12, 20, 1235, you can hear that. Coming up in just a couple minutes, it's big thing number three. We have met the enemy, and he is us. But before that, before that, well, we, we've got, I guess, good news, and a burning issue of the day is settled. Now, Hondo is producing the show today. Do you, own, you know what a Snuggie is, right? Do you own a Snuggie? You do not own a Snuggie. Jane Matinair, do you own a Snuggie? I am Snuggie-free. You are Snuggy free. Well, actually, several years ago here, for some reason, I don't remember why, 
we had a whole bunch of Snuggies. It was, it was this time where lots of people were, were wearing Snuggies around here. I don't, I, don't, I don't even remember why the story was. Well, okay. Now, this is actually a significant story. Now, Hondo, would you say a Snuggie, which is, of course is the, the thing that's kind of like a robe that you put your, your arms in, would you say it is an item of clothing or a blanket? You say it is a blanket. Jane, would I would you say, also I would also go blanket. You would say it is a blanket. Mm-hmm. The reason why this matters is this is news you can use. Okay, since in the first five years that they were selling Snuggies, and Snuggies are imported, like they, they come in. In the first five years, they sold over 30 million Snuggies in five years. 30 million, that's the power of advertising on late night TV. But in any event, these things are imported. It makes a big difference because if it's a blanket, you pay a tariff, an import tax of, okay, let me just make sure I'm right. You pay an import tax of of 8.5%. So that's the tariff. If you are importing a blanket, you pay 8.5%. If you are importing an item of clothing, you pay a tariff of about 15%. So the tax is not quite double, but it's a big deal when you're talking about 30 million units. So the government, the, the U.S. Department of Justice, took the position that a Snuggie is an article of clothing that you wear, so kind of like a priest's robes, so that you should pay 15%. The Snuggie manufacturer said, no, it's a blanket, so we should only be paying 8.5%. And just late last week, the, the U.S. Court of International Trade agreed with the Snuggies, and they said Snuggies are their blankets. Um you know, nobody considers Snuggies to be clothing. Uh, people do wear, like, Snuggies during pub crawls and things like that. But as a general rule, just because you put sleeves on it doesn't mean that it changes its basic character of being a blanket, which is, you know, what it is. So in any event, news you can use. If you want to debate this at the lunch table, is a Snuggie a blanket or an article of clothing? And the reason it matters is because you're talking about millions and millions and millions, potentially, of dollars in taxes on 30 million sold. So... Um, Snuggies, Snuggies are blankets. They are not clothing in the idea of the court. Now, it would have never occurred to me to wear a Snuggie to work, you know, just like it wouldn't occur to me necessarily to wear a hospital gown to work, but that's just me. (laughs) I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying. It is 9.36, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. It's been six months since violent protests rocked the Sherman Park neighborhood. Has the area fully recovered from the unrest? Hear from a local leader in the neighborhood during Wisconsin's afternoon news. That is at 3.20 today. Kurt Cobain would have been 50 today. Hmm. Uh, This is the 40th. This is my rock and roll trivia thing. This month, the uh, 40th anniversary of Fleetwood Mac's seminal um, album, Rumors. I still remember that album cover with Stevie Nicks and stuff. Um, so 40 years ago today, that. And we're right in the middle of our three big things segment. Big thing number three. I, I think Donald Trump has gotten an unfair shake in a lot of the things that he's, he's done. I think there were people who, decide, who were surprised that Trump won who were, and I understand this, offended by aspects of the campaign he ran and offended by certain aspects of his personality. And believe me, I get that. I I understand it. 
But at the same time, I've tried to separate some of that stuff from the the issues that he's raising and the things that he is trying to do. And I, I think there's just some people out there who are the we hate Donald Trump and they can't get past that that situation. So I think you have to judge somebody by the policies that they are rolling out. And, for example, I mean, I think the nomination of uh, Judge Gorsuch to the Supreme Court, it's just an absolute and total home run. And I admit that I was, you know, during the campaign, uh, one of the big arguments that people made as to why you should support Trump for president was the fact that he would be better on appointing Supreme Court justices than Hillary Clinton would. And one of the questions I always had was, well, why do you think that necessarily? But there's no question, at least with his first appointment, Neil Gorsuch, it's a home run. So I've been trying to judge judge him on substance as opposed to style, because I understand why the style is off-putting to so many people, and there's aspects of his style that's off-putting to me, candidly. I don't, for the life of me, I do not understand why President Trump and his surrogates continue to obsess over the fact that he lost the popular vote. He lost the popular vote, and claiming that, well, it's all because, you know, I of three or four or five million uh, votes from people who voted illegally, that's that's just not grounded in reality. At least I don't believe that that's grounded in reality. But every time he says it, that becomes the headline for another story, and it distracts from other stuff. Well, okay, um, over over the weekend, actually it started on, on Friday, when President Trump, um, and it, there's no secret, Trump gets no breaks from the media. The media, when he was running in the primary, he was the media darling. The media just lavished him, you know, with free TV time. I mean, remember back in the primary elections, I mean, it was Trump this, Trump that, the helicopter lands, all these things, all these other candidates, you know, were trying to break through. They couldn't get on TV at all. But the media loved the spectacle of Trump because it generated eyeballs, it generated headlines, it led to readers, it led to viewers, it led to listeners, whatever. And then once he got the nomination, the media, of course, turned. Oh, this is, and, and again, it's because of what I believe is the liberal bias in the mainstream media, but also Trump brings some of this on. Then it's, this is going to be the worst thing in the world. Look at all these things. How could he get elected? And the media, I think the mainstream media in general, finds itself shocked that Trump actually won over the anointed candidate Hillary Clinton. Well, Donald Trump, um, unlike some presidents, conservative presidents, who are attacked by the media, Trump has not gone quietly into the good night, and he has decided to make the mainstream media an issue. So on on Friday, you know, he sends out something on on Twitter, and he really kind of like lays down lays down the line where you know after you know one of his his news conference, of course, you know he attacks the media, and then on Friday he sends out a tweet: the fake news media. The failing New York Times, NBC News, ABC, CBS, CNN is not my enemy. It is the enemy of the American people. The president has referred to the media as the opposition party to his administration. He routinely blames news organizations for stymieing his agenda. And again, the news media is the the enemy. That's what he says. And of course, this has now become the story. Is the news media really the enemy of the American people, or is Trump going too far? 414-799-1620, That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Uh, Chris Wallace, who's a Fox News anchor, um, yesterday 
he goes on TV and he says, look, we're big boys. We criticize presidents. They want to criticize us back. That's fine. But when he said, he being Trump, said that the fake news media is not my enemy, it's the enemy of the American people, I believe that crosses an important line. Okay, so 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Is Trump going too far in his denunciation of the media? What do you think? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 942, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 946, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're wrapping up our Three Big Things segment. Brewer Spring Training has begun, and we're just days away from the first broadcast with Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering. Check out preview videos, spring training galleries, and more in the Brewer section of the WTMJ mobile app. You can actually download the podcast of this program, as well as a number of other podcasts as well. And I know lots of you are doing it, and I appreciate it. Okay, over the weekend, Donald Trump, it, it, it's no... There's no doubt that presidents, particularly conservative ones, have had, well, sort of a prickly relationship with the news media. In general, presidents have not taken on the, the various bias that exists. Um, Donald Trump is different. He puts out a, t- a tweet the other day saying, the fake news media, failing New York Times, NBC News, ABC, CBS, CNN, is not my enemy. It is the enemy of the American people. Okay, do you really believe that... Hyperbole aside, do you believe the media is really the enemy of the American people? Judy and McGuanago. Judy, you're first. Good morning. Hi. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, I'll preface this by saying I'm not a Trump supporter. However, I've been listening to the newscast since he started uh, his presidency, and there is a definite bias that shows up all the time. For instance, if that immigration policy would have been rolled out by Obama. The headlines would have been uh, immigrants from seven terrorist states are being held back. Temporarily, now, yeah. Temporarily, temporarily detained, yep. Okay. The difference is in when they, that same statement is applied to Trump, it is seven mostly Muslim. Right. And it's the different inference. It's giving rise to a lot of these protests and stuff, and it's fueling them. And it, I've listened, and every single time they've talked about this immigrant thing, it's always stressing it's mostly Muslim mm-hmm. rather than the terrorists. Do you think, though, that reflects the, the liberal bias in the media plus the, the, dis, the visceral dislike of, of Donald Trump because he gives it back to them as good as he gets is is it that, or is the media really setting itself up as the enemy of the American people? If they are pushing their their opinion on people, uh-huh. I think they are. I think they're fueling what could be uh, give the guy a chance right. type mentality. To uh, everything he does is going to be just right. just chastised. And, and, and Judy, and you said you were not a Trump supporter. I am not a Trump supporter. At all. Okay. All right. Thanks but for calling. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I appreciate it. Okay. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. See, I think, I think words matter. I've been arguing this actually since the, the campaign started. And I think, especially when they're coming from the, the President of the United States, if President Trump wanted to say the coverage I am getting is biased, 
the mainstream media, the CNNs, the New York Times, the world have a liberal bias and they are they are filtering the news through that liberal bias. I, I think that would be fair. Now, the, the question is, that's not what he's saying, though. He's taking it that next step and saying that the, the media is the enemy of the American people. Now, candidly, that's the kind of language that you hear, I don't know, a lot of times from, you know, in banana republics and all, where it's like, how dare the newspapers, you know, criticize me? And look, I'm not going to defend the mainstream media. I, I'm not going to defend what I think is a liberal bias that is existing. But it's one thing to say there is a bias. It's another thing to say they are focusing on a laser beam on my missteps and trying to create an impression that things are more out of control than they are. That's different than using the term, you know, enemy of the American people. But what do you think? 414-799-1620 is the number. Peter and Racine. Peter, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Well, well, thank you. Okay, is is the mainstream media the enemy? Uh, at this point, I'd have to say they are, most notably because of the enemy of the truth. It's one thing to be critical of a president on something and have face, you know, factual basis and cover things fairly. Um, this is an example, and this is something I didn't even know. If you want to talk about lying about things, which I think the mainstream has even gone to, uh, they made a big deal of Flynn meeting and calling, talking to the Russian ambassador. Right. Did anybody, did the mainstream media spend as much time when Hillary Clinton's campaign in early 2016 was talking to the Chinese ambassador? Right. I didn't hear anything about that until the last few days. Yeah. And so this is continuing, and and it's, it's beyond even biased anymore. It's just, you know, you look at from the time they first tweeted the bust out of the you know, MLK bust, they, they just will jump on anything. I right. did the story where some reporter claimed right. that Trump had removed the bust uh, of Martin Luther King from the Oval Office, and that was completely false. The guy, yes. yeah, right. Okay, thanks. I'm, I'm, I, see, this is, I am intrigued by this, because look, I, I make my living under the umbrella of the First Amendment, and I, I do understand that there is this, You, as we frequently say, you, you are entitled to your own opinions, you're not entitled to your own facts, and I understand that um, in the mainstream media, however you want to define that, the the and Trump is defining as CNN and the ABC and NBC and CBS News of the world and the New York Times. I mean, I understand that there is a frustration in this claim that Donald Trump kind of makes stuff up as he goes along. And there's no question he does sort of make stuff up as he goes along, and he's thin-skinned. At the same time, I, I think that the media, there's no question, has obsessed over the, the Trump irregularities and inconsistencies but at the same but but does that actually make them the the enemy and see if i were the mainstream media i would take a step back and i would say look all right obviously there's all these people that voted for donald trump if you look at the polls he's got 48 percent approval i think in the fox news poll and 47 percent disapproval but obviously what he is doing is resonating with some people um do, do we need to maybe dial down the the unhinged criticism and try to critically analyze some of this stuff as opposed to always filtering it through our bias. That doesn't make them the enemy, though. 414-799-1620. I mean, that, see, that's when you start throwing around terms like enemy of, of the American people, I think you can argue there's a bias in the mainstream media. I think you can argue that maybe the mainstream media and some of the coverage of issues isn't serving people as well. Maybe in this need to respond, when Trump responds, people are... I don't know, putting aside their journalistic hat and trying to say we're going to get back at them. Does that really make them the enemy, though? 
Mark and Racine. Mark, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Um, now, Trump has gone over the line. Is there a liberal bias in the media? Sure. Um, yeah. I studied mass communications at UW Lacrosse. So I've been you know, involved in media for 30, 40 years and so on. If anything, and Charlie Sykes said this, there is more conservative media out there than there has ever been before. Right. You know, you have Fox News, which you didn't used to have a network. You right. have the Internet. So there's plenty of opportunity for people to get both sides of the story, more so now than ever. Right. And for him to cross, he's been doing the same thing with the judicial system, where he right. questions judges' legitimacy. So it's, yes, is the press generally liberal? Yes, if you ask most of the people how they vote that are in the media. But most of them, I think, try to be objective. Does their uh, leanings filter into the reporting? Of course. Huh. You can't completely divorce yourself from these things. But, you know, he is his own worst enemy. He makes these problems. Look at the thing with Sweden now. Yeah, right, where he, he, he says something, he implied like something happened over the weekend in Sweden, and the Swedish officials are saying, what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah, and so how do you, how do? You, but it, it's the fake news people picking on him again. No, you're your own worst enemy by doing these type of things. Right. I see. And I, I, in some respects, see, I like the fact that you have a conservative who is tired of being a punching bag and decides that I'm going to call you out when I think you've done stuff that's bad. Having said that, though, Mark, I'm with you. I mean, to, to say they're the enemy of the American people, well, I mean, it's kind of this us versus them stuff. No, I don't think it's the enemy of the American people. I do think there's stuff that the mainstream media can perhaps learn um, and especially analyze the way they've covered things. But, yes, the, the enemy of the American people, no, I'm, I'm with you. I think that's I, I think that's going too far. But you know this is red meat for the people who are just the dyed-in-the-wool, down-the-line Trump supporters. Well, that's the problem is that some people like this. If you talk to me, I'm a Democrat, but if you talk to me about Bill Clinton, and if he would run, a, could have ran for a third time, I'd say, no, you embarrassed yourself in your office, and you right. shouldn't be reelected. So yeah. at some point, you know, when Barack Obama came in, I looked at John McCain and said, well, here's a guy with a lot of experience. There's a guy who was a war veteran. You got a guy that's coming in as a first-term congressman so or senator. So I looked at across party lines and voted for McCain in that instance because I thought, that's the better man. Yeah. I'm sorry, but we got a guy in there that's not... Yeah. Not a not a good guy. Thanks to call Mark. Again, I I just the reason I bring this up, and I'm I'm not being namby pamby on. I do not believe, and I understand. I'm going to get some emails on this. I mean, I do not believe the the mainstream media, however you want to define that, is the enemy of the American people. I do think the mainstream media, rather than getting its its hackles up, needs to perhaps examine itself and the way some of these issues are being covered. And there's no question there a lot of these reporters aren't used to being attacked by the president of the United States. It's, I don't know that it's ever happened before in this particular fashion. And they're kind of flailing around for a response. And to that extent, they play the game that Donald Trump uh, wants them to play because they're playing on his turf. So I do think there's some examination that's out there. And I do think that there is a liberal bias that is there in the media. And I do think a lot of the coverage has been slanted towards the the problems with the first month of the Trump administration. Um, a lot of that, though, is style as opposed to substance necessarily. But when the president says the mainstream media is essentially the enemy of the American people, no, that the mainstream media and some of the reporters might be misguided, the coverage might be biased, um, the, the emphasis might have problems. Enemy, yeah. 1009, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, 45 degrees outside. See, 
I love the polar bears as well as the next, as much as the next guy, maybe more. And and I, I do understand you've got this climate change stuff going on. But at the risk of being incredibly selfish, I will take 45 degrees at the end of February in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or in southeastern Wisconsin. If that makes me a bad person, well, okay, it makes me a bad person. But um, this is, we're, we're still, I, I predict that we're going to get a, another, you know, round of, of winter, maybe some more snow and things like that. But um, I will take I will take a mild winter, especially after... Well, you know, we went through a stretch of a couple winters a few years ago that were, you know, really kind of brutal winters. So I just think it kind of all evens out in the end. A couple quick programming notes. Let me encourage you to go to WTMJ.com. Check out our WTMJ app page. Um, there are a number of podcasts. We do podcast my program and Greg Matzik Sports Central. You can download those. You can be notified whenever there's a new podcast up there. And I know lots of people are doing that. We also have a series of podcasts from people – you, you do not hear on the radio uh, as a general rule, and they're very, very interesting, and this is all part of this podcast rollout that I know a lot of people behind the scenes have been working on for quite a while, and it's really an interesting group, and I, I know some of the other uh, podcasts that I think are going to be emerging on that program, so um, continue to check that out, and please download my podcast. Appreciate that very much, so check that out. In addition, if you go to WTMJ.com, we, we have links to a number of the stories we talk about every day, our three big things that we start the program with. We put that up there, plus um, links to some of the other things that we're going to be talking about. And Check it out, WTMJ.com. Okay, this is the segment of the program. We do it at the start of the 10 o'clock hour every day. I call it dealer's choice. It's what I would describe as what I think is one of the most talkable topics of the day, not necessarily the biggest or most significant issue, but something that I just find intriguing, and I, I think you, you might as well. It has been a tradition. I mean, as, as long as I can remember, my entire lifetime, there has been, uh, it's been a tradition that you will have athletic teams who, when, when they win, you know, it doesn't matter if it's the NCAA basketball champions or it's the Super Bowl winners or, or whatever. They typically are invited to the White House and everybody gathers. They meet with the president. Uh, maybe the team presents the president with a, a jersey. You know, it, it's a huge photo op, but it's something that we have done. Well, I mean, I, I can remember seeing films of President Kennedy doing it. I certainly remember seeing uh, President Nixon doing that, and, and it's, it, it just goes back. It is a tradition. Athletic teams, okay, the president is the leader of the free world. It's also the president of the United States. And when you have, again, a sporting team that, that wins, it is generally considered to be a great honor to be able to attend the event. Now, over the years, there's always been sort of what I'm going to describe as the one-off. There's always been the maybe the athlete who decides, I'm going to pass on this because I, I don't like who the president is or whatever, so I'm not going to show up when the team is honored by Barack Obama. I'm not going to show up when the team is honored by George Bush. But as a general rule, that's that's been a, an exception, a minor exception. You've got one athlete here or there. In general, the team shows up. This dynamic is changing with President Trump. Big story in the New York Times over the weekend. Um, Connecticut. University of Connecticut is a dominant force in women's basketball. Um, they have won four NCAA championships in a row. 
they have lost like one game out of their last hundred what whatever games, and they they become like a mainstay in showing up at the White House. You know, they're the women's basketball championship, the NCAA. They're constantly invited to go to the White House. Let me let me share the story. When Connecticut won its 11th NCAA women's basketball title last spring, its fourth in a row, President Barack Obama joked that he would keep a room with a cot waiting for the coach and their regular visit to the White House. Uh, Mr. Obama says he does seem to spend an awful lot of time here. A trip to the White House with the ceremonial awarding of a jersey to the president has long been an affirmation for champion teams. But Iyer, this is the New York Times writing, over the election of President Trump, has spurred activism by athletes, coaches, and officials, perhaps not seen since the civil rights movement and the war in Vietnam. Um, they ask, for example, the coach at University of Connecticut, the guy is 63 years old, um, what's, who, who is a Trump critic? He's a Trump critic, and they say, okay, well, you know, what, what is going to happen? The fact that, you know, if you win again, are you going to go to the White House? And his response is, well, um, some of my players might object to meeting Mr. Trump and might feel unwelcome at the White House because of his statements and positions on women's, minorities, immigrants, Muslims, yada, yada, yada. And uh, the coach of Connecticut says, if we're fortunate enough to win it and your players walk in and go, listen, I'm not going, we've never had to deal with that before. If they say, what are you going to do, coach? It's not like I can look it up and go, what did other people do? We're in a world that very few of us could have conceived five years ago. So then they say, okay, if you win, you know, what are you going to do? And he said, I, I don't know. That's, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I'm not going to make any decisions until I actually have to. Right, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Let's tee this up. If President Trump is obviously controversial, perhaps in a way that no other president has been. But Barack Obama was controversial as well. Should we discontinue the practice of inviting athletic teams to the White House to celebrate the championship because, well, some members of the team might not go? Or, you know, he is the president of the United States. If you are fortunate enough to be invited to the White House, should you attend as a matter of respect that you would extend to, again, any president, regardless of politics? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. These athletes and coaches who might like, not like Trump, should they be attending White House ceremonies honoring their teams regardless? 414-799-1620 is the number. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're first. Good morning. Hi. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, uh, I think that... Uh, whether you like Trump or Hillary, whoever invites you to the office of the presidency, you should show respect for the office and show up. Uh, as a U.S. citizen and um, member of the country or whatever, just show some respect for the office and for the uh, person that's uh, acknowledging your accomplishment. Right. So I it doesn't think- matter who the occupant of the White House is. They're elected. They're the president. It's an honor to go to the White House with your team, so shut up and go. Essentially. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I would I w- would rather have Trump than Hillary, but if Hillary was in there, I'd go there and shake her hand. I'd uh, be honored to be in the office. Um, no, th- thanks for call. I, I, I will tell you this. I've had an opportunity to meet uh, most most of the 
most of the people who were president in, in my lifetime. And there were some I disagree, I agreed with a lot. It was an honor to meet President Reagan. Um, I was not a fan of Bill Clinton. I had a chance to meet Bill Clinton twice. I took the opportunity to meet Bill Clinton because, to me, it's exactly the point that you were making, Mike. It's This is an opportunity to meet the leader of the free world. It is, it's an opportunity to, to show respect for the, the office, regardless of, of who the, the occupant is. And would, would I have turned down an invitation to go to the, the White House to, you know, have a grip and grin section, you know, session with, with Barack Obama? No, I would have been honored, even, even though I'm not a fan of Barack Obama. This idea that, okay, be, because it's Trump, though, you know, we're, we're not going to go. Well, I mean, I, I'm with you. Show some respect for the office. Lisa in Milwaukee. Lisa, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. I agree with the statement um, that was just made. But on top of that, um, as adults, we have to meet people that we don't like as part of our job. I know you've done it. I know mm-hmm. 90% of the people listening have done it. And I think it's setting a poor example for those uh, college students that, you know, well, if you don't like it, just don't go. There's going to be many opportunities in their lives where they'll have to do things they don't like to do mm-hmm. because it's part of what they have to do. And I think honoring the fact that it is the president of the United States, regardless of who he is, is a really important step. And it's a really important um, concept that they need to realize is, yeah, you're not going to agree with everybody in your life, but you're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. Could the schools just, I mean, the the easy way out for a, a school or for an athletic team is just to simply say, okay, we're, we're not going to go. Forget what this tradition has been. The White House has invited us to attend, but you are controversial, so we're not going to go. Should the schools if, should the schools turn down invitations to avoid this whole controversy? No, because there might be one or two students on that team or one or two people on that team that actually do want to go, and that's an unfair thing to do for those two out of the ten people. I think we forget that there might be people who uh, would be honored, and they're turning down that opportunity for those folks, the folks that might not want to stand up and say, hey, I want to go, I like Trump. Right. Or, or, I, or I just want to meet the president. It would be cool right. to be in the White House. I mean, I, right. I would love to have a picture of me with the president of the United States and my teammates in the White House. How cool would that be? Exactly. But if they say that out loud... They might never get the ball in their hands again. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, we pick it up right there. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Big controversy. Lots of teams. Both. And the example I was using was the college basketball. But but a lot of athletic teams, both professional and college, getting pressure now. Don't go to the White House to be honored by the president because of who the president is. Right, how should the teams respond? We continue the conversation next. It's ten twenty. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1023, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, coming up in about 15 minutes, a segment I call The Revenge of Sheldon. Stick around. Right now we're talking about this controversy. Lots of, of sports teams are under pressure not to go to the White House to meet with President Trump. You know, it's a, it, it's a standard thing that, you know, your, your team wins, you get invited to the White House to celebrate. Lots of people are saying, well, this is Donald Trump. Maybe we need to change the rules. Linda in South Milwaukee. Linda, good morning. Good morning. I guess my father always taught us when we were young, you always respected the government by, you know, praying for them. 
And even when um, being close to the airport, we'd always see these motorcades and take our son to see the motorcades. Whether we voted for those people or not, it was always an honor. Or when President Clinton was here with the Chancellor of uh, Germany, right. my son, even my husband took off because we got some tickets so my son could see him. Yeah. And I think it's just is what is going wrong today is that people just don't respect. And it's, I don't know, something's missing out there now that wasn't like that years ago. My dad would watch every time there was a presidential speech on TV, and he wasn't really into politics. Mm-hmm. He, he was a farmer, and he just didn't listen to I mean, that was just something that you were told you did. Well, see, yeah, I guess my reaction would be if anybody would say, hey, I have, you have the opportunity to meet the President of the United States, my response would be two words, Linda, do it. I mean, it doesn't mean that you agree with the President. It's just you have an opportunity to meet the leader of the free world at the White House. In this particular case, that is something that very few people get the opportunity to do. It is something that you will remember for your entire lifetime. So you're going to say, well, I don't like him or whatever. I didn't vote for him. So you're not going to show up. How petty and selfish is that? Yeah, I totally agree, and I guess that we need to start changing things for the young people to start turning it around somehow. So well, it's it just do. it's an arrogance. No, thank. I mean, thanks. I mean, it's it's just an arrogance. I mean, this look. I I get the sixty-three-year-old coach of the University of Connecticut doesn't like Donald Trump and doesn't agree with some of his policies and didn't vote for him. Fine, that that's fine. But the, the response he should have given was, "It is an honor." to be invited to the White House and to be greeted by the leader of the free world. And if we are fortunate enough to repeat as NCAA champions again, and the White House extends us an invitation, you bet we're, we're going, and we're all going to be going, and there, there's not going to be exceptions. That, to me, is the response, and it would have been the response, I think, you know, if it was Barack Obama or if it was George W. Bush or Ronald Reagan or Bill Clinton or Lyndon Johnson, Rick in Mayville. Rick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I told you sooner, this takes me back to when I went into basic training. And a GI sat us down and he says, over your military career, you're going to run into people that you think are absolute idiots. Yep. <laughs> stupid. do." crazy things, he says, but guess what? He says, if they're officers, you still salute them. You're not saluting them. You're saluting their office. Right, right. And that's these kids today. They want respect, but they do not want to show respect. Right. Yeah, I, I yeah, see, I just, I mean, I, I agree. It's, it's, you're there to show respect, thanks for the call, to the office of the President of the United States. Mark my words, though, more and more of this stuff is going to happen, and this is going to be a controversy, and of course it's going to be played up, and there's going to be more and more pressure, I think, on the individual athletes to boycott these things. I don't know where it's going to end up. Maybe it's just going to be that, you know, this is a tradition which is discontinued, but I really go back to what one of our earlier callers was saying. All right, let's say, let's say that the team is split and half the team wants to go and half doesn't. Is this now a matter of, of a vote? So you're going to deprive those people who want to go of the opportunity to do that? Or is this something you do as a team? My response would be, if you get a chance to meet the leader of the free world, regardless of who they are, do it.
It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The I-94 East-West Corridor project was taken out of the state budget. While some might criticize the decision, others say it might not be a bad move. Get the whole story on WTMJ today at 1235. Um, Our host today, um, Eric Bilstad and State Representative John Jagler. John Jagler's back, so check that out, 1235. It does appear, credit where credit is due. I think in this one regard, President Trump is about to get it right. I have been critical of the style of a lot of the things the Trump administration has done, more so than the substance. For example, this travel ban that he announced several weeks ago, if you present it like this, if you say, we are going to have a temporary travel ban on on people coming in from seven countries where there there are a lot of terrorist activity, and it's going to be a temporary ban till we can make sure that we, we have proper vetting procedures in place. If you present it that way, probably about 60% of people agree with this. Well, okay, that's not the way it was presented. And, of course, the, the way the media writes this is he's targeting seven Muslim-majority countries, and this is just an excuse to try to prevent Muslims from coming into the country, yada, yada, yada. And, of course, the problem with the way Trump rolled it out was it was just so overly broad. And I've said this before. I can't believe that there was somebody, wasn't somebody in one of these rooms, who raised this question and said, okay, how are we going to handle people who have green cards? How are we going to have people who are already from one of these countries who have been approved to be in the United States who might be out of the United States? How are we going to handle people who have been approved for visas who are in the process of, of coming from one of these countries but have already been approved? And so they raised – nobody asked that question. So you roll this thing out. The order is overly broad. Then you have these huge demonstrations, and people are, are telling all these stories about, well, I'm caught in this. I don't know. Um, you know, my husband – He's got a green card to be in the United States, but now he's over. He's overseas attending a wedding or something. He's due to come back on Tuesday. My God, he can't come back now. And then, of course, the Trump administration starts saying, well, we didn't intend to apply this to green card holders. We didn't apply, intended to apply to people who had existing visas. But, of course, that's not what the order said. And as a result, you have this huge brouhaha done in part, created in part, because the rollout was not properly thought out. And apparently nobody thought to address these very, very legitimate questions. And you would think that there would have been, like I say, some lawyer who had some knowledge of immigration, the rule, or some policy person in there saying, okay, what about these situations? And so then you get all the litigation. And the Trump administration is saying, well, see, here under the law, there there's different constitutional protections that you get. You know, if you are, if you are someone who lives over, if you are not a U.S. citizen, Right? You have a different protection than somebody who is a U.S. citizen. And if you have a green card or you have a visa, you do not have the same constitutional protections necessarily that somebody who's a citizen has in certain regards, but you do have some due process rights. What largely ran the Trump administration afoul of the courts with this order was the fact that the order didn't recognize due process rights of people who had green cards and existing visas. Now, look, I'm not naive. You know, clearly there would be other litigation. There would be other sort of challenges. But at least in my opinion, the big problem with the Trump order 
was that the face of the executive order, again, didn't allow for due process rights that green card holders and visa, people who had visas might have had. So, you know, we, we've been up and down in the courts. You've got the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. You've got the judge in Washington, the federal judge in Washington state, all issuing these rulings. And the, the Trump administration really has a couple different ways to proceed. Do you try to appeal this to the full Ninth Circuit? Do you try to appeal it to the Supreme Court? Or do you do what I think should have been done all along, essentially acknowledge that there is a problem with the original order? And rather than trying to defend the original order, which is overly broad, just issue a new order. Rescind the original order that's in the courts and issue a new order more tightly drawn to deal with like these issues with people who have visas and green cards. To me, that's the easy way. So over the weekend, apparently they are announcing that 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 is what is going to happen. There's going to be a revised travel ban. Now, again, I mean, the the way this is being portrayed is, well, it's still going after the seven Muslim-majority countries. The, The senior administration official is apparently saying, okay, we're going to come out with a new order. It's going to apply to the same seven countries. But in this case, we are going to make it clear that green card holders, dual citizens of the United States and any of these countries, and people who have visas that have already been existed, they're, they're going to be exempt from this. Thereby, that class of people that might have an extra due process right, it, it's not going to worry about it. So this, um, I don't know when the order is going to be made public. Apparently, they're, they're drafting this. The estimate is that it's going to come out sometime this week. I understand that that's going to generate another round of protests. I understand it's probably going to generate another round of court decisions. But if you read the court decisions that have struck down the ban, like I say, if you do this, I think you've got a much better chance of making sure that it's constitutional and addressing the concerns that the judges raise. So while I appreciate from Donald Trump's perspective, this essentially means that you're admitting that you were wrong. As I have frequently said, for Republican and Democratic politicians, when you have dug yourself a hole, you've got two choices. One is to keep digging. The other is to climb out, fill in the hole, declare victory, and move on. To issue a new order which addresses problems, legitimate problems with the old order, to me would be Donald Trump stop digging and, again, filling in the hole and declaring victory and moving on, it's something he should have done a couple of weeks ago. It's actually something that they should have they should have done before they issued the first order. But uh, don't be surprised if you see that coming out uh, sometime this week. Coming up next, Sheldon's Revenge. Stick around. 1042, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten forty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ from the Marcus Center to the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra. Our city has a truly thriving arts community. But what has to happen to improve or maintain our cultural assets? The artistic director of the Milwaukee Ballet, Michael Pink, discusses that and more with our own Jane Matinair during WTMJ conversations. Check it out on the WTMJ Mobile Act. Oh, all right. I, I call this Sheldon's Revenge. Sheldon Wasserman, former state representative. Um. Tried unsuccessfully to run for state senate. He's a doctor. He's now a county supervisor that represents the the Tony East Side, the area around Lake Park. Um, the you know the the expensive houses near Lake Park. 
Um, if, imagine the kind of area around UWM, Lake Drive, all those type of things. Well, all right. Some of the great unwashed ran afoul of Sheldon Wasserman and some members of the Milwaukee County Board last summer when you had this whole explosion of Pokemon Go. You know, the I'm not a Pokemon Go player, but what they did is, you know, Pokemon Go, it rolled out um, on these these augmented reality smartphone applications, and people flocked to Lake Park because that was a Pokemon Go stop, which allowed players to walk around with their cell phones and catch monsters in the real world when they would appear on their phones. This was a success. At least, you know, if you measure things like I do about how we want to attract people to the parks, we want to get people out being and exercising, we want positive experiences. This was a huge success. People flocked to Lake Park. Huge success. All right. Well, the people around Lake Park, the, the, the well-heeled folks didn't like people going into Lake Park. They, they didn't like the fact that you great unwashed would park on the streets around their houses. They didn't like the fact that Gee, there were people wandering around the park. There's all these people who, who showed up, and you, you made a little bit of noise. And, and maybe some of the people didn't clean up after themselves, or maybe some of the people stayed a little bit late. So um, it's not enough just to give them tickets. They didn't like the fact that you invaders, you great unwashed, came into the expensive neighborhoods on the Lower East Side. So with Sheldon Wasserman leading the charge, the county board rammed through this ordinance, just signed last week by Chris Abley which says that for developers, game developers like the creator of Pokemon Go, you are not allowed to use these augmented reality applications. You're not allowed to put stuff in public parks unless you get a permit um, paying somewhere from 100 to $1,000, depending on what the county decides to charge. In other words, if you want to have like an office party or a family reunion at a park, Right now, you got to get a permit. You got to pay whatever the permit, the fee is to do that. This ordinance would apply to, uh, again, this company out of San Francisco, for example, who wants to use this as part of augmented reality. It would also be within the discretion of county parks to simply say, no, um, we're, we're not going to allow you to do this. So you got some people that are saying, oh, this is, this is just the greatest thing in the world. You know, we're going to crack down on this. We're going to decide whether you can have these augmented reality games because we don't, we don't want people necessarily just coming to the parks and, and using them. A lot of other people have trouble with this. And I admit, every time I think about this story, I find it more and more aggravating. 414-799-1620. 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. I mean, seriously, if you've got a company in San Francisco that wants to do one of these mobile apps, whether it's Pokemon Go or whatever the next big thing is going to be, and they want to put something, they want to use some public areas as one of their, their stations that attract people to the public areas, should the county board really be saying, well, no, before you can do that, we need you to get a, a permit because, heaven forbid, people might actually come out and use the parks. People might actually, like, park on the, the streets. And, yes, it might inconvenience some of the really rich people who live in areas like Sheldon Wasserman lives in. But, but you know what? Isn't that what parks are for? 
aren't we trying to do everything we can to encourage people to go and use the parks? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Chris Abley just signed just signed this recently. Um, Pokemon Monsters, you now need a permit to enter the parks. County can say no. Is this really going too far, or isn't this something that we're trying to encourage and should be trying to encourage people to do? Use the parks. Isn't it a good thing? that we've got people wanting to go and use the parks. And again, I appreciate that if you've got a lot of people that come and and walk around the park and do stuff, I understand that there might be some people out there who litter. I get it. Cite them. I understand that there might be people who violate curfew, in which case if you're in the parks afterwards, I don't care whether you're playing Pokemon Go or whether, you know, you're you're attending the submarine races. Okay, give give somebody a, a fine. But this idea, this to me is complete and total overkill. And worse, it is elitism of the highest. This is all about, hey, you know, we don't want you great unwashed coming into places like Lake Park and annoying the people who live in the really expensive houses. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mike on the east side. Mike, good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Um, I don't see a problem with it. I lived on Wall Avenue, which was the biggest area where people were complaining. Right. And they were going around asking for us to sign petitions. Then some of us would not sign it. Uh, I don't see a problem with it. And I know a lot of the people supported Chris Abley, which is why it got passed. Right. But you didn't see, you did not see a problem with, with, I mean, obviously, a lot of people were attracted to the area, but you didn't yeah. see any, you know, huge problems with what was nope. going on, right? Nope, not at all. Yeah, not I, at all. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it's great that people are coming into the neighborhood. Uh, when we first moved there uh, twenty years ago, no one came down there. Yeah, and I think it's it's good to see that the neighborhood is growing. Uh, the problem is there's starting to be a turnover of people. And a lot of the young families, they just don't want people from the outside in. Yes, it, it, right, exactly. I mean, this is, thanks to, I mean, it was like, we don't want the congestion. You know, we don't want the noise. Well, okay, if you live, if you choose to live across the street, for example, from a public park, it's not your park, okay? Just because you live across, it's not your park any more than it is my park or somebody who, you know, lives on the southwest side or whatever. It, it's a public park. It is open to the public. And again, if you've got, if you've got people that are showing up and they're, they're being disruptive or they're littering, but th- then you give them a ticket. I have no problem with that at all. You, you know, if, if people are, violent, but that's not the vast majority of people. The vast majority of the people were really mellow folks who were coming around using this as an ability to, a way to get out and, and use the parks, which at the end of the day, isn't it what it's all about? We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1053, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Milwaukee County Executive and a majority of the county board has now said if, if one of these virtual reality games like Pokemon Go wants to put things in the park, well, they got to get a permit. Let's talk to Phil in Oconomowoc. Phil, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Great topic. What do you Let think? Uh, let me enlighten you. Having served on a park commission, you need permits to have a horse in the park. You yep. need permits to have dogs in the park. Yep. And, and for this, why wouldn't you? What, well, this, what, but don't you see, this, this isn't this completely different? I mean, yes, I understand if I want to hold a party. I want, I want to hold an office party where people are going to come. I'm going to be there. 
I, I get that that's a permit, but this isn't this isn't Pokemon Go like staging a particular event. They just they just have their electronic figures that are in the park so people can come and attend. It's not like hey, this is an event where we're going to show up for the family picnic. No, but it's still an event, whether whatever you want to call it, it minor event, major event, however. Uh, but you have to have responsibility with people in the park. It's for public use for all people. Well, and uh, if let's say I come up with some kind of game, and geez, they got their 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 they sure. do it. I should do it. You're going to draw the line, Jeff. Well, no. Let me ask you this. Okay, let's say that I, I'm using you know Google Maps, like, like the application. And Google Maps has a map of the Milwaukee, well, of a Milwaukee, Brown Deer Park. Okay, so I'm I'm driving to picnic area number three in Brown Deer Park. Should Google Maps have to pay a fee for me to be able to use the map application in the park? Here's your answer. You're comparing apples and oranges. No. Right? Oh, yeah, you are. Well, no. The, the the Google Map is drawing me into the park. I'm driving that. Why why shouldn't why shouldn't Google Map have to get permission? Watch. Watch Pokemon, what you're talking about, watch people play it, yeah. and then you tell me that is the same thing. I'm sorry, but I don't agree with you. Well, no, the only di- no, see, I'm, I'm sorry, I disagree with you, Phil. The, the only difference is Pokemon Go is more popular. But, I mean, seriously, if the idea is that a, an organizer, you know, if you're going to put, an, uh, use one of the, these apps, the, these apps that are there that are going to be used in the park, I, I don't understand. And intell- all you're saying is more people show up with Pokemon Go than show up using the Google Maps app. But, I mean, it seems to me an app is an app. You know, and I guess I just think, I do not think that this is the same thing. I think you're comparing apples to oranges when you say, okay, some company in San Francisco that puts that, that doesn't benefit directly financially, that's not going to be there, that just uses this augmented reality stuff and puts these stops all over the city, that that is essentially the same thing as me wanting to host the, the Wagner family picnic in the parks. Just saying. Be interesting to see. Here's the other interesting thing. What happens, number one, if these companies decide they're not going to pay the fine? 1108, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. Okay, Jane, I can't let this go. I, I just, I, I can't. We, without, uh, we, we had all sorts of interesting emails around here, and, and this, this, one just, this one just came in. Without going into too many details, there's an email circulating asking everybody here, do you own or have access to a full-body adult bear costume? Would you lend it to us? <laughs> they, they promise to return it in, in good condition. Oh, sure. Everybody says that, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> sure. I'll give it. I'm going to bring you back your bear costume like it's brand new. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. But I, I'm sorry. I can't, okay. I can't get beyond that. Okay. Who has... Seriously, it's not like, do you have a Santa Claus? I, I have a Santa Claus outfit, okay? Years and years ago, I played Santa Claus at like this company Christmas party when I was working at a law firm, and it was easier to just go out, and it was cheaper to buy the Santa Claus suit than it was to rent it. But, I mean, it's a Santa Claus suit. Who who has a full-body adult bear costume, huh? Jeff, I look around this building, I see at least four <laughs> possibilities. Um, okay, well. Without going into too many details, if you happen to own a full-body adult bear costume and you'd like to... Um, we'll get it back to you yeah, like it's brand new. Yeah, we'll get it back to you like it's brand new. Um, just just email me and I can I can help you out. Full-body brown bear costume. Huh. Now, the interesting thing is going to be, there probably will be like a half dozen people respond, oh, I've just got that sitting around there. <clears throat> okay, I digress. I um, I actually, we, we talked about this on Friday's show and I want to just kind of double back on it just to make a couple comments because 
after I discussed this, I, I actually, over the weekend, I, I went out and I looked at this area. And the more I look at the area, the more convinced I am that the village of Brown Deer is completely and totally out of control. And if you live in Brown Deer, you should be calling whoever it is that you call in the village, asking what the you-know-what is going on. I have, whenever I am asked about one of the, the worst, what do I think is one of the worst court decisions that, that I've ever seen, uh, certainly one of the things that I always come up with is the Kelso decision um, involving eminent domain. It was a decision by a conservative Supreme Court that essentially said government has the right to take people's property by paying, regardless of whether they want to sell, simply by paying them fair market value if if they think it economically benefits the, the community. So in other words, what you could do under this decision is if, 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 I, if my house has been there for 100 years and the government decides, hey, there's a better use to turn this into a strip mall and sell it to a private developer and I don't want to sell, they could force me out of my house. I understand that eminent domain is important. Eminent domain is the, is the doctrine that says that for government purposes, you can, under certain circumstances, take people's private property. Historically, it's been, we, we need to build a school. And the best location to build the school to benefit the public is in a particular location. So we're going to, and if one or two people don't want to sell, fine. We're, we're, we, can, we can force them to. We can't allow the progress on the school to be blocked because you've got one or two people. Um, that happens a lot of times with roads. We have to expand the road. And so what that might mean is in, in doing that, we're going to run the road like through property you own. You don't want to sell, but we need to have the road because it is for the public good. So you, know, you don't want to sell to us at a reasonable price or you don't want to sell at all. Fine, we're, we're going to be able to take it. You can't allow one person to or one corporation or whatever. You can't allow one land, landowner to block public progress, you know, simply because they, they don't want to sell. Sometimes the public good overwhelms, you know, the, the individual property rights. But eminent domain is just being so misused, and it, that's what's going on in, in Brown Deer. There is a ton of empty space, which is for sale in the village of Brown Deer. Now, what Brown Deer wants to do is they've got a public works facility off of off of Brown Deer Road. This is where they put like the snow plows and the dump trucks and things like that. It, it's been there for, for 30 years and um, it needs repair and it's not big enough to house all the dump trucks. So they want to build a bigger garage and that the they need more space okay because you know they, they don't want the garbage truck sitting outside what whatever okay that's fine i don't have an issue with that so there's all sorts of vacant land in brown deer that they could could buy to do this that that, that they could buy but they've decided we don't want to do it next to the existing garage um there's a company called right height which makes all sorts of industrial things. It's, it's been there forever. I mean, decades and decades and decades. They employ a couple thousand people in Brown Deer and a lot more worldwide. The, the property that Wright Height owns, where their, their plant is, borders on where the current garage is. In addition, Wright Height has six acres of vacant land 
that's right next to their plant that, again, borders on where this garage is. They own this land. They've owned this land forever. They are saving the land because they might want to expand at some point in time in the future. You know, I mean, they don't have, my understanding is they don't have a current plan to expand, but this is their property. They have it because, hey, you know, maybe maybe we're going to need to expand. Maybe we're going to need to bring even more jobs here. And and we want to be able, it's, it's just easy. We've got this land. We own this land. It's vacant land. It is ours. This is our, our plan that someday, you know, maybe we're going to expand here. So, again, there's all this vacant land in the village of Brown Deer that you could put a garage on. But the brain trust in Brown Deer Village government has decided, well, you know, the easiest thing for us Instead of, I don't know, finding vacant property like across the street or down the road that is for sale, what we're going to do is we're going to take the land from Wright Height. You know, we're, we're going to say we want to buy it. So they go to Wright Height, this employer in Brown Deer, and they say, we're going to buy it. We want, we want you to sell it to us. And Wright Height says, well, it's, no, it's not for sale. You know, we're, we're, not, we're, we're saving this. This is where we're going to expand. So no. So what Brown Deer does, shamefully, is instead of, okay, that, that's good, you're a great employer here, we understand that you're going to be, you know, maybe expanding, you want to keep the land, instead of saying, hey, we'll buy that vacant property across the street and relocate the, you know, municipal garage there, Wright Heights, uh, I mean, uh, Brown Deer says, all right, you're not going to sell to us, screw you, we're going to take it. You know, we're going to start an eminent domain action, we're going to pay you what, you know, some judge says is fair market value, but we're going to take the property from you. And, and Wright Height says, look, this isn't about the money. The land isn't for sale. This is our property. We are going to, we think we might need it for future use. No, we don't have any current plans to expand today or tomorrow, but this is what we're saving this for. Brown Deer says, we're too lazy. We're too sloppy. We don't care. You don't matter. We're going to take this. And you've got no, you got no choice in the matter. And now it's in court. But, you know, it shouldn't be in court because- and this is an out-of-control village management that is grabbing property when there's all sorts of vacant property that they could choose to take, um, including lots of property, I'm told, in the vicinity, which is for sale. But because it's easier and because they are lazy, this is the choice. Well, it's just easiest to you know um, take the property that's next to the existing garage. I get that that's easy. And I get that if Wright Height wanted to sell the property, it would be a good solution. But Wright Height doesn't want to sell. And the village of Brown Deer is completely and totally wrong in doing this. Now, I don't know if ultimately Wright Height's going to be able to proceed and win in a court case, but it shouldn't come to that. This is irresponsible. It is the arrogance of village officials and everybody who's behind this land grab should take a step back or should be voted out of office. This is not what eminent domain should be all about. It's not like this is the only property in the village of Brown Deer that Brown Deer could take to put a place to stick some of their dump trucks and snowplows. There's all sorts of property they could take. They're just deciding, we want this. We don't care what the real property owner says. We are going to take it. And everybody who's responsible for this, if they don't reconsider, should be voted out of office.
1121, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Brewer Spring Training has begun, and we're just days away from the first broadcast with Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering. Check out preview videos, spring training galleries, and more in the Brewer section of the WTMJ mobile app. Okay. Um, actually, Channel 12 had, had an interesting story to me the, the other day, and I've been meaning to set aside some time to talk to you about it. If you are a regular listener of this program, you know that I am, I am, I'm death on using seatbelts. I, I've supported, and I know you might have disagreed with me on this, I support the mandatory seatbelt law, and even though I'm not a big fan of government regulation, to me this is just something that, that makes sense. There is, when it comes to seatbelts in automobiles, there is no question that you are much safer if you have your seatbelt and shoulder harness on in, in a collision. And I, I understand that everybody who doesn't wear a seatbelt has that anecdotal story. I dated a woman who knew somebody who had a cousin who was involved in an automobile collision, and if they'd been wearing the seatbelt, they were dead. But since they weren't wearing the seatbelt, they survived. I, I understand that everybody says they know somebody like that, but the truth of the matter is, with all the advances we've made in automobile safety, it all starts with the fact that you know you are restrained in a car. How many times have we seen people that are involved in automobile accidents and they walk away because they're, they're wearing a seatbelt? What happens in contrast, you hear these stories about people who die, particularly like kids who die in cars, but when they're teenagers, when they're, when they're thrown from the car because they're, they're not wearing the seatbelt. I mean, you just think about it. You're going 65 miles an hour in a vehicle and you come to a sudden stop, your body's going to get thrown through the car, into the car. The, the seatbelt restrains you. It stops you from being thrown around. So like I say, I acknowledge, I acknowledge that there might be that anecdotal example here or there, but that is the exception. It is not the rule. Seatbelts save lives in automobiles. Which brings me to the question of seatbelts in school buses. We hear often about these school bus crashes where kids are hurt or injured. As a general rule, there are only six states in the country, and Wisconsin is not one of them, which require that school buses have seatbelts. Only six states. Um, to retrofit a school bus, to put school seatbelts in school buses, that depending on the bus, you're, you're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of $15,000. So when you think about all the buses that are out there, that, that's, that's a pretty significant expense. Okay, $15,000. In addition, the dynamics of a school bus are much different than the dynamics of an automobile. You know, the, the type of the way school buses are constructed and the size and things like that, completely different in some respects from automobiles. In addition to that, um, seatbelt school buses typically have, have padding in, in front of you. You know, you're, if you're in a car, You've got the dashboard and you've got the, the windshield, for example. And if your body is going to be thrown, you're going through the windshield. In a school bus, typically if there is an impact, what happens is you're going to, you're going to go just you know a foot or two and, or three feet or whatever it's going to be, and you're going to slam into padding. So it's kind of a different dynamic, but still you're, you're going to be bounced around. So there are some politicians out there who are vigorously saying, doesn't matter. We understand that buses are different than cars. We understand that the padding situation is different. We understand that the whole thing with an impact with a school bus is different than with a car. But nevertheless, we think school buses need to be 
outfitted with seatbelts. Now, one other aspect of this, um, statistically, riding a school bus is one of the very, very safest, um, one of the very, very safest ways to, to transport kids. Um, they say that about se- your students are about 70 times more likely to get to school safely if they take the school bus instead of traveling by car. So you know, statistically, the, the number of people who get injured on a school bus is very, very small. And the subset of people who get injured on a school bus who would not have been injured if there had been seatbelts is much smaller. But there is the argument that if it saves one life. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Should Wisconsin become the seventh state to require that all school buses be outfitted with seat belts, shoulder harnesses, to make sure that, that kids aren't thrown around in the event that there is a collision. 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1128, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I am in the market for a vehicle. I'm looking forward to the auto show. I've got a, there's a new new car coming out. It's not out quite yet, but I want to want to see it. So I'm going to be going to the auto show. Hopefully they'll have it. 1128, we are discussing whether or not right now six states require seat belts on school buses. Wisconsin is not one of them. Should we be? Let's start with Peter in Oshkosh. Peter, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. What do you think? I think that besides being safe, one of the other issues you hear on the radio, on the news, they're bullying arguments, fights on buses. If they're restrained and in the safety lock, they're not going to have that problem. Bus drivers aren't going to get distracted as much. There's a good side to this besides safety reasons. Okay, so from the perspective of a school bus driver, um, let, let, let's just talk about kind of the practicalities. Let's forget safety for a minute, but let's work on your point. Okay, when when kids refuse to buckle in or kids get up and start walking around the bus, what's the driver supposed to do? That's a good question. <laughs> that I don't have an answer okay, for. I'm just trying to imagine with, with all the other you-know-what that goes on on a school bus right. that I see every time I'm like driving home and there's a school bus and there's all those kids there, I'm thinking – those poor drivers, <laughs> you know, if, if, if what are they, they going to like pull over every time somebody doesn't have their belts in? Um, I, okay, fair enough. No, thanks. I, that, there is that, that practical question. It's like, how are you possibly going to be able to in, enforce this? Um, you know, are kids ever going to get home in time? If, if every time some kid decides that they want to, they, they want to get up, that they, they will. Uh, Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. I just heard what you said, and I was going to say the same thing about um, I was coming home on a on my route, and I saw a bus of kids on the freeway. <laughs> Everybody was up, looked like right. they were fighting. I felt sorry for the driver. Right. And but how do you how do you tell them to buckle up? I don't know. Yeah, I know. I mean, I think thanks. I mean, I think that's kind of the first of all. Look, I. Do I think we need a law? No. I, I think local school districts can decide if they think that that's a requirement. I, I am not convinced that it makes the buses that much safer for, for the reasons I said. Buses are different than cars. I am. I, I think everybody should wear a seatbelt in vehicles, but for the reasons I went through, buses are different. I also have this really practical question. It's not spending the, the money, although there's a ton of money, is how do you enforce this? What are you going to do when the kids you know, refuse to buckle, in, buckle up? How is the driver going to know about this? How are you going to be able to really do this in the real world? And are you really going to make people safer? So I'm, 
I, I'm all in favor of child safety. Don't get me wrong. And I, but you know, school buses. The reality is they're pretty safe. They're pretty safe now, and it's much safer to put your kid on a school bus than to drive your kid to school. So, I, I'm not convinced we need to take this step. It's 11.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you spending President's Day with me. Quick reminder, since it is President's Day, stock market is closed. Also, if you're wondering why the mail it hasn't come by the time it normally does, it's because there is no mail today on President's Day. So no mail, lots of banks are closed, um, but we're here, which is just fine. Last season, the Packers signed Jared Cook, and he proved to be an asset to their offense. How deep will general manager Ted Thompson go into this year's pool of free agents? Matt Pauley examines during Sports Central. That is tonight at 7.35. Now, Hondo is producing the show today. Are you familiar with the revolutionary Black Panther Party? Hondo says he has not attended a meeting. No, my guess is you would perhaps not be welcome. This is not the Black Panther Party. This is Milwaukee's own revolutionary Black Panther Party, a group of, well, I think, you know, maybe you could describe them as concerned citizens. Maybe you could describe them as as whack jobs. Um, They are threatening to bring a $400 million lawsuit against the police and several specific police officers. This is a group of people who wander around the city um, brandishing weapons in an open carry fashion and then get surprised when the, the police are, are called. It, it's just like the folks that, 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 the open carry advocates that walk into farmers markets in Appleton with long rifles, that they're, they're trying to prompt a response. And that's what this, this group is all about too. Let me see, story in the Journal Sentinel. Ali Muhammad, chief general in command of the revolutionary Black Panther Party. How does one become the chief general in command? I wonder of the revolutionary Black... Is there an election? Okay, we've got elections up. Who's going to be the chief... I want, I'm running for chief general. Anyway, the chief general in command of the revolutionary Black Panther Party compares the actions of the Milwaukee police to those of the Federal Bureau of Investigation's previous counterintelligence program known as COINTELPRO. This is 2017, he said. We will not tolerate this type of COINTELPRO operation in 2017. Okay, Um, what happens is, all right, back in late December, Milwaukee police respond to a call about somebody carrying a gun. Yes, a bunch of these yo-yos are walking around the streets armed to the teeth. People call. The cops respond. They arrest a 21-year-old Milwaukee man who has an open warrant, who they say, police say, was unsafely handling a firearm. So, I mean, here, here would be the lesson from a recovering, from free legal advice from a recovering lawyer. I mean, if you've got an outstanding warrant, maybe you don't want to be wandering around the streets waving around a gun. Just saying. Police also said that several members of the revolutionary Black Panther Party encircled the police during the incident and had to be physically moving back adding at the time that they reached out to the family of a child who was reportedly injured. But they have, so, I mean, there's this whole, you know, incident that goes on. The cops respond because they get calls that there's people wandering around with guns on the street. And then, all right, you know, bad stuff ends up happening. The incident happened shortly after members of the group, some of them armed, 
marched through Sherman Park neighborhood to protest violence by law enforcement officers. All right, this is exactly what the Sherman Park neighborhood does not need. A bunch of people calling themselves the revolutionary Black Panther Party, armed to the teeth, marching through that particular area. I am just saying. So anyhow, um, Ali Muhammad, who once again is the chief general in command of the revolutionary Black Panther Party, and Vaughn Mays, the group's national minister of information, which again makes you wonder, I mean, is it better to be the the chief general in command or is it better to be the the national minister of information? Hmm. I don't know. What's higher? What's higher? I don't know. But anyhow, the, um, the... (laughs) Can't make this stuff up. The chief general in command, as well as the group's national minister of information, accused police of following them. Okay, let me just stop there. Gee, you've got a bunch of people marching through the Sherman Park area, armed to the teeth, and the police are following them. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> you know, no. Oh, what a surprise that this is. They accuse the police of following them, trailing them in unmarked squad cars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, telling business owners not to associate with them. Okay, you know, this, I, I, tell me, tell me anything the police seem to have done that has been wrong right now. Matter of fact, um, matter of fact, if if I am a resident in a particular community, doesn't matter what community, but let's say Milwaukee, and there's a bunch of yahoos that are wandering around the area armed to the teeth. You're, you know what, right? I would like to see the police following them and encouraging local businesses to not, to not deal with them because there's nothing good that's going to come of this. In any event, the revolutionary Black Party, Panther Party, not to be confused with the Black Panther Party, threatening a $400 million lawsuit against the Milwaukee police. The group says its mission is to feed, clothe, shelter, train, and defend African Americans. All right, let, let, me, let, let me just take a step back here. If you're really all about feeding, clothing, sheltering African-Americans, there's all sorts of other ways that you can do it. And as far as training and defending them, I don't know what, I have no idea what, what that means. So anyways, th- this, this extremist group threatening a $400 million lawsuit against the Milwaukee police because when they show up armed to the teeth and people call the cops, the cops actually respond. Oh, oh, the horror. All right. Coming up next, some California teachers decided that they were telling what they thought was the truth. It has not set them free. It's an interesting story. Stick around. It's 1142. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1145. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I can't announce it today, and it's not the Mellon Camp Show, but we've got a really cool ticket giveaway. Hunter, did you see this? I, all right. It, it, I can't say what it is. It is a really cool ticket giveaway that I believe we roll out tomorrow. So you you want to be you want to be listening. Really, really cool. It's not to Mellencamp. I just I just I remind just hearing that ad reminded me that it's a really cool ticket giveaway. Can't say anything till tomorrow, or else I get called into meetings. And my goal in life is to avoid meetings as best I can. Okay, here's the story. Um, let let's wrap. We, we started off the program at eight thirty. And by the way, if you missed the eight thirty segment, no problem. Just download the podcast page. But we started talking about that the day without immigrants protest. A lot of people took off of work and ended up getting fired for not showing up. Okay, here's this was last Thursday. Here's another consequence. Okay, so there's a day without immigrants protest, which encouraged people not to spend money, not to attend work, not to attend school. 
there is a high school, Robido Rubido High School. In it's it's a small community. More than seventy percent of the residents are Hispanic. It's about forty miles outside of downtown Los Angeles. Okay, so here here's what happens. So apparently, on a day without immigrants, a number of the students decided to skip school. So that they decided not to show up at school, which prompted stuff on social media from the the teachers. Um, The thing started by a social science teacher named Jeffrey Greer, who wrote wrote that his class size was cut in half on Thursday. So you got all these kids who decide not to show up. And here's what he wrote. Best school day ever. (laughs) He said the reduction in class size only served to support Trump's initiatives and prove how much better things might be without all this overcrowding. That's what you get when you jump on some sort of bandwagon cause as an excuse to be lazy and or get drunk. He wrote, an art teacher responded by saying she had 50 absences and the Thursday was a very pleasant day. A science teacher replies his cumulative GPA, grade point average, increased today and that the mostly failing students were missing. An agriculture teacher and another science teacher both then, in response, wrote that the classes were less disruptive and more productive. Let's do this more often, one of them commented. A guidance counselor said the school cafeteria was much cleaner, the roads had less traffic, and there were no discipline issues. More, please. So in other words, these, these teachers are taking to social media and their response to the day without immigrants which apparently had a, a large number of their students who didn't show up, they're saying, bring this on. <laughs> what's, what's the, this, this is the best thing in the world. You know, the, you know, the classes were less crowded. A lot of the kids that weren't here were the troublemakers. Cumulative GPA increased. Mostly failing students were missing. All right. Well, I mean, there are consequences. Angered by their teachers' remarks, dozens of students walked out of school early Friday afternoon to protest. Um, Many immediately took to social media to denounce the posts. I wish you guys were in our shoes. You guys have it easy. You guys think we're not scared of any minute we get left without parents. Why are you guys looking at us as a few students missing school and making your day better? Blah, 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 blah. So the teachers have now all, all these people who participated in this social media discussion have now all been placed on administrative leave with the idea that they're not sure exactly what is going to happen, including whether or not these teachers will will be back. Um, 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Okay, here's my question. What, if anything, should happen to these teachers? A lot of kids walk out to attend this day without immigrants, and at least a handful of teachers write these kind of sneering, sarcastic things saying, a school is better because a lot of these kids have decided they're not going to show up. Cumulative GPA has gone up. A lot of the kids that decided not to show up were the problems. Bring this on more, more, more. Should they be fired? Should they be disciplined for this? Do the teachers have a First Amendment right, or did they go too far in insulting these students? Should they lose their job? Should they get time on the bricks? What should happen? 414-799-1620. 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Do the teachers, or should the teachers, 
if, if this is what they truly believe, if this is what they truly believe, should they have a right to express themselves in this fashion? Or is this going too far? 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1150 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1153 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Tracy in Delafield. Tracy, what should happen to these teachers who took the social media to essentially comment about all their kids walking out of school to participate in the Day Without Immigrants? Okay, well, I'm probably going to get a lot of backlash for this, but um, both my children are Hispanic. I'm married to a Hispanic man. Um, They were both high honors, and had they still been in school to this day and they wanted to participate in that, I would have allowed it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the teachers should not be fired. I think they should be disciplined. However, I I think they crossed the line that, you know, they they knew what they were doing. Right. Um, I think you're adding fuel to the fire. We are so divided now as a country. And, um, you know, if my two children would have participated, they're honor roll kids. So they're grouped in. So it's the generalizations that kind of lumping everybody that decided to participate and suggesting they're all lazy or drunk or losers or whatever. That's where they go too far. And that was going weak, you know, and and I'll tell you, and, and this, again, this maybe is a little different from what you're talking about, but I'm white and I have never encountered racism until I met and married my husband. And I had seen it firsthand to my children as well. What's going on is horrible. And as teachers, they should know that and they should know better. Yes, they're allowed to speak their minds. But just like the president, I don't think he should be on Twitter. You're a teacher. I don't think you should be on Facebook. For that kind of stuff. Okay, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Uh, Lorraine in Horicon. Lorraine, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. I think you ought to give him a right stuff award. <laughs> okay. for Now tell me why. Our, our first caller, Tracy, just said, hey, it's not Hi. fair to lump the bad kids in with the good kids and that this has racist overtones. Why do you think they get the right stuff award? Uh, I understand Tracy's position. I have a sister-in-law who's Hispanic, um, and the the point is that the kids who were doing this, there may have been a few who were doing it on principle. Right. Unfortunately. You just think a lot of them were using it as, I mean, thanks. I mean, for example, the the teacher that started all this says, look, um, I just... Uh, maybe maybe I was being sarcastic, maybe I was being flip, but um, I think this was my response to you know people using this as an excuse to, in my opinion, skip school. Here's how I look at this. I think, do I think the teachers deserve to be fired? The answer is no. At the same time, do I think this was unprofessional? Yes, I think it was was unprofessional. And I, I when I try to analyze these things, I think, okay, let, let's let's change the circumstances around. You know, for example, let's say this was kids that skipped school to go attend a Donald Trump campaign rally. And if you would have had teachers taking to Facebook and talking about how all these are the kids that are skipping school to attend the Donald Trump rally are all racist losers or, or whatever, I would have thought that that would have been unprofessional as well. And that's kind of how I look at it. I, I mean, I, I don't, obviously, there's overgeneralizations to this. I think what's going on is you think the teachers, I think there were some that were trying to be cute and clever without necessarily thinking through what they were writing, which is why, once again, you know, when, when you go on social media and you look at these type of things and you, you write something out and you think it's going to be cute or clever, 
before you hit that publish button, it, it's a, you might want to think about that. I'm just saying it's one of Wagner's rules of life. Um, and so I think, again, I think this was unprofessional. Do they deserve to be fired? No. Um, maybe a letter in their, their file saying, hey, rethink this. Um, I, I think because obviously this was creating problems. Unprofessional, yes. Fired, no. But this is a bell that is very difficult to unring. All right. WTMJ Today is coming up in just a couple minutes. Let's see. We've got State Representative John Jagler and hey. News Director Eric Bilstead. Hello. Hello, hello. What's coming up on the big show? Hold on. I'm finishing. I'm going to post this comment. Okay, right here. I'm going to hit send there. <laughs> Jeff Wagner is a... Oh, this goes. Maybe <laughs> right. I'll add a pick to it. it then, so. Exactly. But, no, it's, but isn't that the truth, though? I mean, oh, all the time. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing thing that I've had to learn discipline right. on, on social media. And it's so weird to see other politicians now. It's gone the opposite right. way. Right. From from the sheriff to the president, right, and some of my colleagues, it's like, what are you right. doing? Well, you know, and John, you know, in your previous incarnation, that, that one of the things that we we all should learn here too is you get, believe it or not, I get I get emails. Sometimes there's people who try to provoke me who don't like me. I get some nasty emails, oh, yeah. and you know, there's always the temptation to respond with the first thing you think of, <laughs> <laughs> which is generally. You know, generally it's just like like delete and then send them over to the junk file. But I mean, you you just on one hand you want to respond, but you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. it's not in your interest to respond in that particular fashion sure. because then they, look what this guy told me. So you just kind of like roll with it. But I could spend all day chasing rabbits like that yeah. all day long and drive myself nuts. It's just it's not worth it. Exactly. So what do you got coming up on the big show? Another evacuation at the JCC. This is the fourth in recent months. So we'll dig into that. Plus much more. Did you hear about this? The Russian UN ambassador abruptly passes away in New York City. Now, this isn't the U.S. ambassador to Russia, but this is the Russian UN 64 years old. Is this going to spark something? We don't know how he died yet. There's new details that are starting to come out. All right. I'm going to the internet and check this out because that's where the conspiracy theories are. Uh, Yeah. And you know that you're right. You're right. But is it Trump's fault? Was Trump behind this? Well, (laughs) what does Putin think, right? You already have ships off the coast there. Who knows? This is is something that we may smile and laugh at, but it okay. ain't good. It's All not right. good. We might be going down another rabbit yes. hole on WTMJ today. Stick around. I am out of time. I am back 830 tomorrow when we do this all again. Check out the pod pay, podcast page and have a great day. Enjoy the weather. It's 44 degrees. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.